Welcome to Just Up The Trail. My name is Rob Jones. Today on the show, I have got Stephanie Killingbeck-Turner, who is walking from Lamb's End to John O'Groats. And rather than take the traditional route, she's taken a rather circuitous path all around the country so she can take in various ecological and environmental projects that are going on all over the country. They're usually independent they're usually community-based, and they're all doing really good work. So as she's hiking all those many, many miles, she's actually making time to highlight some of these really important projects that are going on. This conversation I had with Stephanie, we kind of had to rearrange it a couple of times because of some personal stuff on my end. So I was really, really appreciative that she managed to rearrange and make the time for me because it's really difficult to try and schedule something in like this when you're living out of a backpack and you're not sure entirely where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. So, Stephanie, thank you very much for the rearrangements. I really appreciate that. So those of you that have been listening regularly will know that I was really, really looking forward to a hike we were doing up in Snowdonia. We were going to try and do the Snowdonia way. And we did, in a fashion. We got the train up to McCuncliffe and there was just delayed trains and we didn't get up there till much later than we had planned. So that kind of set us back. But then after that first day, things brightened up. Well, the weather didn't brighten up. It was pretty rough. But yeah, we made good progress, steady progress. It's very wet going up and over Cader Idris. And then I think that day we actually banged out 19 miles all out and we ended up on the north side of Coedy Brennan Forest Park. But about halfway through day four, yeah, but halfway through day four, Evan took poorly. He started redecorating the mountainside and... He just had no energy and he couldn't eat anything and he couldn't keep anything down. So after 50 miles, we decided to call it a day because there's just no way that with a poorly kid, I mean, he's 14, nearly 15, but there's no way with a poorly kid, he should be in the mountains, not poorly like he was. So we went down to Penryn Day Drive and we found a campsite. We got him rehydrated. But then throughout that day, he didn't eat anything and, he, and it just felt really irresponsible to take him back out into the hills, having not eaten anything, and then asking everyone to have to cover 20-mile days through some of the bigger stuff that we had left. So we dropped on a train and came home. And um, We will go back. I think I've, I've, I've booked a week off in August, so it'll be, I'm sure it'll be lovely and wet, but we will go back and finish what we've got left to do but I was feeling really down about it all for a little while and obviously it's no one's fault I don't blame anyone it's just when things don't go right you can it it can knock you a little bit then last weekend I managed to connect with Impala on trail Impala on trail is walking basically all the way around the borders and the coastline of England so he's started up in Yorkshire and he's come down, he's come around East Anglia, Norfolk, East Anglia, all around London along the south coast, and he's he's coming on to Portland. So I gave him a shout. I said, dude, if you if you want a shower, something to eat, cup of coffee, give me a shout. And he did, and we managed to connect. And honestly, what a man, what a dude. He's just, his enthusiasm and his love for hiking really rubbed off and really lifted my spirit. So now I'm getting the maps out again and we're just looking for anything we can do in between now and going back up for Wales so what 
could have prompted a bit of a slide, you, you know, when it doesn't always work out how you want it to. I think, yeah, I connected with Impala at just the right time just to halt that slide a bit and reinvigorate me. And I'm just really looking forward to the rest of the summer now and what we can do with the kids getting out. So as usual, if you want to follow our adventures, we're over on Instagram. We're at Just Up The Trail. And if you can donate to our Patreon page, I'd really appreciate that. That'll help keep the lights on, help me feed the kids. I know times are tough at the minute, so if you can't afford it, don't. Just really don't. Then, you know, if, you, if you're struggling financially like a lot of us are, then I should be down the bottom of your list. But if you can, then just share the podcast out, share it to your mates, share it to your friends, people who you know who like hiking. I'd really appreciate that. Let's just get this out as far as we can. So in my chat today with Stephanie, we talk about environmental action. We talk about how it can be wearing at times. It's not all it's not all fun and games. It, it's not all easy and it should probably be easier. We talk a little bit about land access. We talk about we talk about hiking lands into Drona Groats. We talk about some of the projects that she's visited and the plans for the rest of her trip. So you can follow Stephanie over at Stephanie's Environmental Odyssey on Instagram and Without further ado, here is this week's Just Up the Trail podcast. No more suffering. Sun in their eyes and a shaking So you're doing Lands End to Johnny Groats? I am, yes. So what prompted the big one if you like have you got plenty of hiking experience beforehand and it was just time to take on something bigger or a little not like huge amounts I started walking some of the national trails with my mum a few years ago well I guess it started from kind of a a sad place really um we'd always walked as a family and mum and dad had intended to walk the coast to coast together but sadly, we lost him 10 years ago and they never had the opportunity to do it. And so mum asked me if I wanted to walk. I'd done Hadrian's Wall with some friends and was like, no, nope, never again. <laughs> and she lured me back in saying, well, we'll do we'll walk in Norfolk. It's completely flat. <laughs> so we did and loved it. And it was brilliant. And we have since done the coast to coast. And then what else? Uh, West Highland Way. And then the most recent one we did was the Anglesey Coast Path. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it was awesome. We really loved that. That was really nice. So I don't know. I started thinking, oh, maybe maybe I could do a bigger walk. And it's sort of been going around my head a bit. So it was sort of there, but I hadn't necessarily intended to dive in. It just kind of happened. Because you're not even doing the traditional route are you because um normally you would do like the north of Cornwall and then up on up around Bristol onto Offers Dyke and then across and you're taking a rather circuitous route I know I know foolish <laughs> because I'm from Hertfordshire originally and wanting to showcase environmental projects I just sort of thought wouldn't it be nice to share some from my hometown where I started getting into environmental stuff myself and yeah I don't know I just picked projects that seemed interesting and threaded them together and 
ended up making a rather longer route than was possibly wise. <laughs> was it the, you know, I'm going to walk to John O'Groats? Was that the idea that came first or was it a case of, you know, there's all these exciting, really good, really important projects going on that you want to highlight and walking between them, human power transport, if you like, that would be the ideal way to do it? I suppose I'd been thinking about walking, not necessarily Land's End to John O'Groats, but a longer walk that would be a challenge for me. And at the same time, I'd been, I mean, I do get involved in environmental activism and go along to protests and stuff like that. But it's, I mean, it's fairly challenging. You're always pushing against something that doesn't want to change, trying to get power holders to make different, better decisions. It's quite wearing. And I, I think I was looking for something more hopeful as well to kind of keep motivating me to do that, you know. And I, I was talking to my husband about it and he was the one that said, well, could you bring those two things together? And it sort of sparked that idea of like, oh, yeah, do you know, that makes sense because when I'm out in nature, that's the thing that I'm trying to save that's the thing that brings me joy and it seemed like two sides of the same coin you know showcasing the incredible scenery countryside we have encouraging people to get out there to enjoy it and to build a relationship to it with it you know and get to a point where they thought yeah this is something I want to save too and then highlighting look at all of these fantastic projects happening up and down the country that are doing something tangible right now to safeguard its its future. So, yeah, sort of I'd been thinking about both things separately. And then, yeah, that suggestion from, from Nick, from my husband, sort of brought the two together and kind of went from there, really. Um, I'll just jump on to you saying about... Um being involved in always um like trying to be active is tiring and it kind of it does wear on you a little bit I mean we we always say we we do what we can um and it's it always feels like it's never enough I mean we've changed our diet and we try to get close to like zero waste for a while and then pandemic living didn't really help with that yeah. and it, it <laughs> yeah. seems a lot more difficult now to do that but there's something really pure about walking or human power transport isn't there just to get mm-hmm. yourself from a to b yeah that's true that feeling of just moving through the landscape at your own pace it just feels really really natural isn't it yes and there's something incredibly satisfying about having with you everything you need which is really very little yes you know and and you take all of the complexity out of life you are wearing the same thing every day you have your shelter with you you have your food with you it's yeah, just to be able to achieve that under your own steam with your own body is very satisfying. Is this the first time you've done a long walk carrying all your camping gear, you know, being fully self-sufficient then? or As much as this, yes. When I've done it with my mum before, we've stayed in accommodation. So we've carried what we need, but of course we haven't needed that much. So we have had our, our, our packs but, um, yeah, we haven't needed sort of cook stuff, tent, sleeping bag, all, all of those. So, yeah, a, a bit more than I would typically carry. 
Okay. And how long, how long have you been on trail now? So I traveled down to Lambs in mid-April 16th, something like that. Yeah. And your first stop, would have, was that the Eden Project then, your first stop? It was, yes, it was. How was that? What are they doing that's cool down there at the minute? Because I can remember I went there not long after it first opened and, it, you know, it was just the dome. So I think it's a lot more extensive down there now, isn't it? Yes. Gosh, it feels like a while. Yeah, it must feel like an age. Yeah. Interestingly, I think the projects that speak to me more are the ones that are community-based. Right. But I went to that one because, you know, I was hitting it first as an opportunity to to go and see it and just because they kind of showcase technical nature, you know, it's quite a nice, visually exciting project to get people like, oh, yeah, the natural world, this is amazing, and thinking that, oh, there are incredible things out there that we, we should be safeguarding. So, yeah, I hadn't seen it before, and just to see the domes, to to, to wander around, um, to see what grows in all these different climates, and I liked actually that they did um, share some of the more problematic elements. So like in some of the tropical things, they had stuff about um, cocoa and sugar, you know, some of those foods that we know really are linked to slavery, modern day slavery as, as well. Um, yeah, it was just interesting and, and um, other things touching on on the environment. They're building a new environmental hub. I don't know. It was sort of... Um, just stuff up telling you it was happening but nice to see that the the messaging is a bit broader I mean I don't know if it's always been like that but okay so um you just saying sorry that it's a community project that float your boat so is there one in particular that jumps out that you visited already or one that you're really looking forward to further on yeah I, yeah they, they've all been really interesting I particularly enjoyed Totnes Renewable Energy Society just because I think, I mean, fossil fuels are our number one biggest problem, you know, in terms of the carbon that we, we emit. It's just something we have to move away from. And seeing a community create power under their own steam, just really exciting. And the fact that it's, it's viable, they've been up and running for 15 years, just super interesting. Um, they wanted to do a wind project. Unfortunately, after jumping through multiple hoops, got turned down. So uh, doing stuff with, with uh, solar instead, but just amazing stuff. Like they've got it on the doctor's surgery, on the school roof, things like this. So the doctor's surgery gets the energy and then they get the money from the feed-in tariff. And everybody wins but I think what was really exciting is they're teaming up with um, uh, an organization called Energy Local and what's going to happen with that is so they're they're talking to a local school and they want to get a huge solar array on the school when the school has used the energy they needed anything that they create in excess can then be used by other members of the Energy Local Club and they will pay for it at a rate that is less than they would buy it from the grid. Excellent. I don't know. It just seems like it's a it's a model that could be replicated around the country. Mm-hmm. That's what's so exciting about it is that it's local. Local people benefit from it. It's removing people from now. Not entirely. Do you know they still have to link up with the provider where they need extra energy from the grid? It will come through 
kind of a, a more reputable company, but just seeing models that are working, you know, that that do, you know, we, we, we get told, oh, no, no, we're so reliant on this. We have to, and they're proving that other options are available. So, yeah, that was really exciting. I, I enjoyed seeing that one. Was that a pretty um, fun stretch of hiking as well, though, the Cornish coast? Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of got spoiled in the beginning, you know, take it, and then you, you and then you come into to, to Middle England and you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I think we missed each other briefly because um, obviously like, I think we, had, we were arranging to do this and then you would pass through Weymouth and uh, I'm on Portland. Well, I did actually walk around Portland. Did you? So oh, we definitely okay. missed each other, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, I looked at your post on Instagram, your map of where you're going for your first half, and it, it looked like you might have been, you know, again, it's not a to scale map, but it did look like you might have been nipping along the, the ridgeway between Weymouth and Dorchester. Oh, okay. To be fair, that was me on PowerPoint with a wiggly line. <laughs> so not super Here on Portland, we're fighting against a waste incinerator project at the minute oh, down in the you? port so but um the right palms are being or the wrong palms are being greased it seems so. uh, where's the way yeah this is the problem that the most polluting projects are the most financially viable and it's it is a challenge because as such a short-termist view you know i think um the, the chat was telling me in totnes that they they polled people um, I can't I can't remember where, but the gist was, oh no, maybe it was Germany. People who had wind farms in their local area where they had just been erected there, and people who had them who had been part of the consultation, um, you know, there was some buying and and polled them about more uh turbines being installed and da 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 da. And the upshot was that you know, those who had been involved in it happening way more for yeah yeah let's have more because they felt part of it and so I think actually that's a really important part of these these things is is consult with the people who because as you say like it there's a lot less nimbyism if you feel like yeah there's buy-in in equity isn't there you know it's yeah so did you enjoy Portland when you walked around Portland it was strange (laughs) I as I went up the one side, I really, I, w- I wanted to get, do you know, it's funny. I mean, I know I didn't really need to, to walk around, but I kind of met people and uh, one chap was like, no, no, you must go and walk around. You're going past. You have, I thought, I, yeah, go on. And um, I'd walked Park Chesil Beach and I just really wanted to get that kind of bird's eye view of it. And that was amazing getting to see it from, up high and going going round there. The other side was just a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Walking up to the youth offenders prison just was such a strange feeling. I mean, it's because of the way that the cliffs are. Anyway, it's like this fortress is kind of buttress, and and just weird knowing what you're coming to, and then you pop out and all the barbed wire and just. I don't know. It, it just felt really strange and and kind of very sad. I thought, God, these are kids in this in this barbed wire prison, and it just made me think, you know, what has happened to them in their short lives to have ended up somewhere like that? Mm-hmm. Was just 
really strange. And then I kind of missed, and and then there was a really weird farm. With the wallabies? I don't that's, know. Yeah, that's fancy, fancy's farm. That is. That's our. That's that's our tourist attraction. What? Other than the lighthouses, they looked like they were in prison too. I just wanted to like set them all free. It was so sad. So that side was really quite strange. And as I was walking out, I just got the weirdest feeling that I wasn't going to be allowed to leave. No. Right. <laughs> so we moved, we moved here because uh, like we were on the Isle of Wight before, and it all ended up feeling it started feeling a little bit like 120 pound to get a ferry to the mainland before you can do anything. It started to get a bit restrictive. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Keen outdoors people, and we're into climbing and all of that. So, and um, my wife's dad is over in Weymouth, so it seemed like a natural point. But we very uh, much, okay. we very much moved to Portland rather than moved to Weymouth. And then they're on Portland, if you know what I mean. So um, so we're out climbing and walking the coast all the time. I absolutely love it. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing. Particularly to Portland over the mainland coast. I like, well, we're into climbing. I'm not very good at it. So there's a lot of climbing here. And there's also, like you say, you've seen that view down the Chesil Bank. I have that every morning going to work. Yeah, that is stunning. And there's one bit, as you're coming up the hill on the road, as you come into Fortune's Well, you can just look across and you see the profile of the cliffs going off and, you know, they just drop away to the sea and whatever the weather, that always warms my heart when I come across that. Okay. So. Does it have a nice sense of community there? Um, We moved during lockdown, so ev- uh, literally everything was shut up and you know there's no clubs and it's like the kids only in like the last sort of six months or so have started to go to after school clubs and community clubs so we're slowly starting to find our feet yeah and I think beforehand there was and now it's just slowly sort of drifting back a bit so fingers crossed yeah it's just because it's something that I, I I think is so important or that I found really interesting is you know, places that have this strong sense of community and have more thriving projects. Just, yeah, just interested in what it was like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, so I work for Weymouth Council and a a lot of that. So I work in the gardens over there. And a lot of that is that I look after community spaces. I make sure the parks, you know, I keep the parks nice and safe for the community. So I work for, I work for the community. I might be paid by the council, but I'm working for the community. That's how I how I see it. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So you're up in the Peak District now. Yeah, I um, was at Todmorden earlier in the day, so I guess I'm Yorkshire now, aren't I? Must yeah. Be in York. Just crossed over. Um, yes. Yeah. I passed a a stone sign that said I was in the easternmost part of Lancashire the other day. So I think then I went into Yorkshire. Yes, and was having a wander around Incredible Edible um earlier yeah bobbing into Bradford tomorrow to meet up with a group called um Fossil Free West Yorkshire who have been campaigning to have their pension fund divested from fossil fuels so they've been yeah there's loads of divestment campaigns happening kind of worldwide and I just was looking for stuff across the country so it happens to be to be here but I just I think that's a really important part of the puzzle is removing the money from these things. And when you don't get a say in how your money is spent, I mean, oh, I could go on about this. But um, yeah, so I'm going to go and see them tomorrow and find out a bit about how their campaign has been going and what they've been up to. And then 
my mum is joining me tomorrow and we're going to walk the rest of the Pennine Way together. So that'll be nice. So yeah. the, the Pennine Way so far has been quite a change from, did, where did you come up from Hitchin up to? Yeah, I did. Up, so, so that I would came. be like the home counties and that then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Through um, Northamptonshire, Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire, and then on into this. And to say that this is better would be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Good. It's lovely. We, we used to live in um, the north of Northamptonshire. We were in um, uh, Aundel, sort of on the way to Peterborough. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so you can live a million miles from where Yeah, and it's all very flat and middle class middle England isn't it and it's it is yeah I had not realized quite how wealthy Leicestershire particularly Northamptonshire a bit is wowee just I mean the size of some of those houses but I mean all of the the cars the houses everything's kind of on steroids it was really yeah yeah we noticed when we were living up there because um like we lived in Angle and it's um Angle's one of these lovely quaint stone market towns and it's got like the private school for 27 grand a term or it was 27 back then but it was in the same constituency as Corby so it's Corby and Serene so you've got the like the old steelworks in Corby and it's very much a case of if Corby turned out in an election it was a Labour seat and if the Serenes turned out it went blue oh yeah 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 you know, um, where I am is very true blue we've got an East East Dorset MP and a West Dorset and one of them Chris Loder was just in the papers for he basically said that investigating the poisoning of these white-tailed eagles that got released was a waste of police resources so there was Great. a big reintroduction program of a couple of years ago with these white-tailed eagles, like massive birds, beautiful, amazing things. And then, so is this farmers poisoning, or is this gamekeepers? I game expect keepers, just so yeah. his fat mates can go in, take pot shots at fat pheasants. Like, so, I know, I know. I I have a real problem with managing the land for a single species. Mm-hmm. It's so unnatural. But then again, so is however what handful of people owning. Yeah. most of the country and then um and uh, and the rest of us having access to eight yeah. percent i mean and then the report's just been buried huh no surprise no there, of course but... not but oh, <laughs> i know i know i shouldn't be i shouldn't be so cynical but the kind of the more i'm you know campaigning you do in this regard the the more you realize that sometimes it feels that you're the only one fighting the bloody losing battle though doesn't it and it's you want like I get to the point where I work hard. I know I, I'm a gardener. I work bloody hard, and I say I work for the community. But sometimes I think my community just don't give a shit. So why should I? Yeah, do you know it's interesting, and I think this is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this project was to to find some. Yes, absolutely, to share it with other people and to get people caring and acting, but also for myself to find hope and motivation for myself and to meet other people who are like, yeah, I want to do something about this because yeah, you're right. It can feel incredibly lonely and you feel like you're the only one and you know, you're not, but when you're surrounded by some of this, it's yes, it's hard to keep yourself going sometimes. And yeah, kind of being able to, to, to meet other people who really want to make a difference Mm -hmm. is 
it's, a nice thing. And it's it's also, I think, it's seeing people doing things like yourself where you see that, you know, the actions of an individual can actually make a difference. I mean, I hope so. You know. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, another little thing that I that's kind of bolstered my spirits, I found a book by Dr. John Francis called Planet Walker. I don't know if you've read that. Oh. Um, basically in the 70s. Oh, I think I heard about it because you posted about it. I was like, oh, I'll have to check this out. So back in like 71, he witnessed the aftermath of a oil spill in, in San Francisco Bay. And then a couple oh, of years God. later, he decided he was just going to give up using motorized transport. And, uh... and then he got tired of having arguments about giving up motorized transport. So he just decided he wasn't going to speak. <laughs> so he was silent for 17 years and hasn't used public transport. And then it was 22 years, obviously, to the date of the, his book coming out, but he still hasn't used motorised transport. And then he spoke wow. to the UN at, on World Earth Day in 1990. But he also got, while being silent and walking everywhere, he crossed America twice. Wow. He walked from California to Portland and did a degree in ecology, and then he walked to Montana and did a master's in something else, and then... Oh. Then he wrote the U.S. response to the Exxon Valdez, like the oil spill well, regulations. Yes, yes. And it's just like one man's decision to make a big gesture is the wrong word, but you know it's. So, yeah, I think I am back to hoping that you know our big grand gestures can make a difference. Yeah. Oh golly! Well, do you know I can't imagine <laughs> ever having that kind of impact, but. It is, and also incredible that somebody can make a decision like that and stick to it because it is hard. We are not geared up. I mean, America is definitely not geared up for not using motorized transport. No way. Do you know, that being said, I also kind of like people to see me being imperfect and acting anyway because sometimes I get so frustrated about people who say they care about about the environment then being held up to these impossible standards and you're just like do you know what let's not do that let's just accept that we're all imperfect doing our best in a broken system let's all just crack on and do what we can rather than expecting a few people to do things perfectly before anybody else is prepared to act I just do you know there's that side of it too. <laughs> yeah, they don't make it easier though, because I mean, we we try and be or use as little plastic as possible. We try, you know, we're as plant based in our diet as we can be. Yeah, same. But it's like you go to the shop and you can buy peanut butter in a glass jar, which has got palm oil in it, or you can buy it in a plastic tub with no palm oil in it. So are you going to mm. kill the orangutans or the whales? <laughs> oh and it's always yeah. feels like it's, you're always being forced to bend and yeah, oh, oh always always know. um which is which is hence me saying you know you're doing your best in a broken yeah. system it's it's many shades of gray it's it's not as though you can say i'm going to be this perfect environmentalist boom go it's just not possible it's just, and I guess you have to decide which your non-negotiables are and which things you'll be a bit more flexible about. Forgiveness, no more suffering. Sun in their eyes and a 
This week's podcast is supported by Off the Beaten Pot, bringing great food back to the great outdoors. And Tom is joining us to give us a few tips on how we as hikers and campers and outdoors people can be better custodians of the environments that we hold so dear. Hello, welcome to Off the Beaten Pot, bringing great food back to the great outdoors. We are looking at different ways to alleviate our stresses on the environment and on nature, this same nature that we love and adore so much. Number one is make your gear last. Every season, every month or every week, it seems that there's a brand new fresh product on the market and a lot of them are exciting and we want to try them all. Uh, the reality is, I suppose, ask yourself, do you need it? Do you really want it? Buy gear to last and a good way of doing that is buying second hand. Lots of sites such as eBay, Facebook Marketplace, your local buy and sell sites, etc. And you can pick up some absolute bargains. Uh, next point is stop buying single use plastic meals. They're really convenient. I do. I get it. You can just get a nicer experience by not always going with the single use tear open packs they're really convenient and I, I truly believe that we're being sold convenience as a way of well ultimately not not being great for the environment these single-use plastic bags these tear open packs okay it keeps you warm and it fills you up and it's nice enough but it's not excellent food and it's really not difficult to attain that so next on the list reduce your meat consumption now i'm not here to tell you what to do it's just these are just things you can do so by reducing meat consumption uh, you reduce your impact on the environment and there are plenty of incredible vegetarian options out there i still eat meat uh, but i would say about 60 to 70 percent of my meals are vegetarian and uh, lastly get involved in non-violent action because ultimately uh, especially in the uk we've got extinction rebellion and they do it on mass in a very disruptive way whether you agree or disagree with what they do all the time, their non-violent action has led to policy change in government that has then moved on to uh, positively affect our environment. And that can only be a good thing if we're going out into nature to enjoy this environment. And non-violent action has been a big part in causing this policy shift, then that is no bad thing. But if you're like me and you're a bit of a wimp and you don't want to get involved directly in this action, then again, you can offer that support, whether it be sharing the message if you believe in it. And if you can uh, finance somewhat, that's an option. Yeah, spread the message or volunteer your time. Thing, things have to change. And it's a bit of a rant. And I feel strongly about it, but I would love for all of us to carry on going out, enjoying nature while it's still there. So hopefully these tips can help somewhat. So once again, thank you very much. Cheers and gone. Thank you to Tom for those eco tips. You can see his full video over on his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the beaten pot. There's also um, the pressure that is on our on our open spaces, on our national parks. We've seen over the last couple of years with after lockdown where everyone's kicked out into everyone wants to go up Snowdon, everyone wants to go and camp on Dartmoor. And you think, well, maybe there should be some kind of permit system like they have in America for their national parks. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're then gatekeeping the, you know, the, the parks are for everyone. 
this is such a challenge. I've had this conversation numerous times with no answers particularly as I've gone on this walk because something that I really want to do by by showcasing what we have here is to encourage people to go out into nature because I feel like if you if you don't have a relationship with it if you don't enjoy it why why do you care about saving it but the at the same time I also recognize that not everybody who goes out into nature treats it as we would not everybody abides by leave no trace I don't know how do you solve that I think there's got to be things around education but it isn't you know yes you can capture people at school but often it'll be adults as well like I I don't I don't quite know how we tackle that there but there has to be a way because yeah you're right I I don't, don't think that that the outdoors should be the exclusive right of those who either can afford it or have land which is how it feels right now but yeah I I I don't quite know what the answers are but I do agree it's a challenge Um, I'm glad you mentioned leave no trace I've seen you've had you've got a background in speaking about zero waste if you had any ideas on how we can reduce our waste while we're out on the trail oh my gosh it's so hard I have struggled with it. I tried beforehand to dehydrate backpacking meals, did buy loads of plastic Ziploc bags uh, to put them in. And my husband's also continued dehydrating things for me. And I arranged with the projects, could I send resupply boxes to those projects? And so they've had in uh, food and snacks and and maps I've needed. And then I've um, sent back things that I've finished with to him to then be reused and and sent on. But of course, I've had to buy stuff when I'm out. And and that stuff comes in single-use packaging. I have where I have been able to see that there's like a a bulk store, you know, like a zero-waste shop have gone in there and tried to like fill up snacks and things from there so great but you know that's a few occasions it's tricky I mean even stuff that I've bought that I so I saw the outdoor provisions did you know those sachets of nut butter and I thought oh great and I I like their ethos and I like the fact that they are home compostable but I was like well that's great on a day walk because I can hang on to it and keep but when I'm collecting this day after day and I was like, I can't start sending compost back. That's just, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. So there are some things that I wouldn't typically throw and I hate knowing I'm sending stuff to landfill, but you can't carry it all. Yeah, I've, I've struggled with knowing that I'm out in nature and it's something that I want to look after and being aware of throwing things just throwing things away and I I don't know I think a bit of preparation has helped me waste less but I'm definitely I'm definitely wasting things as I go and I don't 100% know what the answer for that is no, no we've um because we've always sort of done our longer hikes with the kids so like my youngest he was five when we did the West Highland Way oh wow so we've always had like certainly from that point on we our like ultralight hiking wasn't really possible with three kids yeah fair enough 
but as they've got bigger they've been able to carry a bit more and because we've refined all our stuff to like the minimum because we've been carrying for extra people and carrying more food we are pretty much ultra light now because we just we've refined it over the years but yeah what we found was that when we started going out it was like oh we, we need this we haven't got much money out so we'll just get the cheapest version of whatever we could whereas now we've moved to you know finding the ethical manufacturers is quite tricky as well there's a few but yeah. they're always a lot more on the expensive side this is true and i i think that is another challenge of encouraging people to go into the outdoors but then sometimes like the kit makes it feel like quite an exclusive place and just wanting to say to people no just go with what you've got yeah all all of these things hold challenges definitely so you're in yorkshire now and next big target i suppose will be scotland and then i suppose the hike really begins (laughs) yeah yeah end of the pennine way should take me up to the border and then into the final month so you reckon four weeks into in scotland then like or a month then yeah that's the plan roughly maybe maybe it's slightly longer yeah about that so have you had like daily mileage targets or is it just you need to be at this next project by this date and you can have a slower day and a quicker day and... yeah it's tend to be I mean I have to say I've really struggled with trying to make sure I've got like enough battery life and with filming bits and this and that and the other and you know it's not something that I'm massively okay with anyway so I think (laughs) muddling through so I haven't really had tracking devices to be like oh yeah I've done this far and this do you know I think it typically works out around 20 miles a day sometimes it's less sometimes it's more it depends on the terrain as well but I usually have a look of like right that's my next project this is how long I've got to do. So I really need to be covering a minimum of and then just kind of working it out roughly from there or get to where I think I want to be and then scout out a suitable place to to land for the night. Yeah. Like down here on the here in rolling Dorset, the kids can do 18 to 20 miles a day easy. We, we can walk from here to Abbotsbury, that's 10 miles, or on to Bridport and... We can be we can leave here at ten in the morning and be in Abbotsbury for lunchtime with the Amazing. kids. But we can't do that in Snowdonia with with limited like a twelve mile day is all day up in the hills, you know. So we're always adjusting for that. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. What are the um highlights of Scotland you're looking forward to? Well, so before I started this, um we were up on the Black Isle just above Inverness. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, volunteering um, in an organic garden there. Um, and I did a morning walk, and I always used to pass the sign for the John O'Groats Way. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to sort of see where that ends? So I'm going to do the John O'Groats Way to finish off. And we were also not too far from the Cairngorms. You know, you, you drive over, and you can only get so far in a day. And I just thought oh, well, by that point, you know, I should be reasonably fit. It'd be pretty cool to walk through the Cairngorm. So I'm planning to kind of just, yeah. Perth up, up to Aviemore and then the Speyside Way or something, is it? I'd kind of, rat, you know, looked at seeing whether I could just 
do my own route because I didn't want to just go through all the valleys. I wanted to climb up onto some of the tops. So. Yeah, up on the plateau and just find your own way. Like Yeah, and just see some of it because I always, yeah, on the odd sort of day walks we did, it's like, oh, just over there, you know, would be. So, yeah, but there will be. And then I think I'm, I think the Darva Way takes you out the top um, because I'm going to go up to Fintorn. So I used to work up there as well. So we lived in a little, we used to live in a little village called Cullen and we could look across the sea, across the firth and see the Black Isle. Ah, okay. And I used to work in the forest, Colbin Forest opposite Fintorn on the other side of the river to Fintorn. Okay. But obviously at Fintorn you've got the seals and everything there as well, haven't you? Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, Fintorn's quite a place. But yeah, so I, I know that area quite well. So. Ah, okay. So you're going to Fintorn, that's like an alternative community, isn't it? Yeah, I was really interested in visiting somewhere that yeah that intentional community that came together around an idea and I know that obviously initially it was kind of a a spiritual community but they definitely have an environmental bent to their living because it just to me it's a tricky one because I'm really interested in it but I also know it would be challenging we you know the way we've been brought up to be very separate to be very individualist makes that kind of living quite challenging but I also think it just you know working in the garden made me realize I do not want to be self-sufficient it's so hard it is a lot of work and if people really love that fine go for it but it means that you have to bring every skill yourself whereas in a community everybody can bring the skills they've got and you can collectively make this stuff happen and also with numbers, you can do stuff. So they have like a um, car share scheme because you all live together. You don't, everybody doesn't need one, but you all have access to something or uh, an allotment and you can all put a bit of time in and reap the benefit. You know, I, I it makes sense. Proper community isn't really. So Yeah, exactly. And I think we need more of that and maybe not in exactly the same way, but I think tackling the things that we need to tackle with climate strong community it's going to be so important so yeah I'm just interested in how that how that works and they do have you know their own living spaces you aren't living communally I think I mean I that just makes me feel like going back to university or something I couldn't do that I need my own space but I like the fact that they have communal areas and they have their event space where people can come together and they have a, a shop on site so you can bring more ethical products. Do you know, it just, yes, it's... My wife was telling me up in, um, I, I don't know if it was Finland or Sweden, but, like, their social housing is a real mix of, like, older, like, pensioners, if you like, and then young kids just starting out, and there's a... You'll sign a contract that you will spend X amount of time each day communally with your neighbours, Oh, that is interesting. I think it might be yeah, Finland, I, to be honest. But Okay. I, I visited a project, South London um, housing project called Bedzed. And one of the things that was interesting about that was, yes, they had approached it from an environmental point of view and had all these things that had been embedded in this design to m- make sure that living there, like by default, you were consuming less. But part of the design was also to do with community. So they've got, because it's kind of, um, they've got these gardens and they have communal bridges that go over. And the idea is that 
in sharing some of that space, you, you just bump into your neighbours. And in the little sort of village, no cars are allowed in. They're all parked around the outside. So you have to walk through to get to your house. And so you bump into and you speak to your neighbours. The children can play safely outside in the streets. And they kind of thought that in the design. And they, and, and they were telling me that um, like most of us probably know two or three of our neighbours Whereas here, people know about 20 of their neighbours. And that's just the design process of bringing people together and creating community through conscious design. And I thought that was that was really cool. You look like you enjoyed it, just talking about it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good space. Um, I'll start to wrap up and I'll let you get on with your evening. Um, are you enjoying the hiking? I am again now. I, I had a bit of a wobble, particularly in Leicestershire. Uh, I think I said to you, didn't I, that just... Oh, it it wasn't a, a a friendly feeling space for walkers. A lot of the paths just hadn't been reinstated, and so although I knew I was on rights of way, I kind of just felt anxious a lot of the time because I was waiting for somebody to yell at me. Nobody did, but it, it just didn't feel as though you were wanted there. I I have exactly that same feeling in the New Forest. I, Do you? Uh, yeah, I used to spend a lot of time in the New Forest when we lived on the other way. And two or three times I was woken up at like four in the morning by people walking their dogs, you know, and we were tucked out of the way, miles away from anywhere. And they people just come out and find you. I had the rain. It's the only place I've ever wild camped had the ranger called on me. Oh. And it just feels, you know. That actually is one place that I I didn't wild camp. And I think when I've been checking it out, I got the sense that they were pretty strict on that and they didn't encourage it I mean obviously I know it's not <laughs> generally encouraged but with it being kind of a national park and what have you so I I did book somewhere I really enjoyed walking through but it was sort of a day hike for me and then kind of out the other side you know well, that's interesting yeah me and my boy used to do it like we used to, every, like two or three years in a row we we'd get the ferry over to Southampton and then the little high ferry and then we'd do a different route so we'd do like 50 miles over two or three days oh, you know okay. and just just walk across the ringwood and then camp somewhere on the heath and then walk down to the woods and camp in there and yeah but yeah he used to always have bother but I, I think it's that very similar like you were saying there's a lot of money in Leicestershire there's a lot of money around that area of Hampshire as well and I think it's, and it's interesting isn't it that the, the vibe is different where people have money and it's sort of what I was saying about the big houses it felt like quite kind of gated communities and what was interesting was the villages they didn't have you know there were there were big houses but not really any facilities maybe a pub but you didn't kind of live there it seemed like you would have to drive out for everything you needed whereas when I got into Derbyshire I was like there's a tea room and it was so nice because I went in I sat down there was a slice of vegan cake that was very exciting but just like I hadn't actually even seen anything like that to feel kind of as though you were welcomed Mm -hmm. people chatted said hello like places had life to them you know I just I don't know I just didn't get any of that in those counties no I think it's part of it as well is obviously you've got you've got the peak district and then obviously if you get up further on the Pennine way you know walkers are expected aren't they and it's not that tourism is the main deal for these towns but you know walkers are welcome walk you know they are a source of income for these communities aren't they yeah. so it's yeah it's one thing on portland i wish there was a little bit more 
for the climbers. There's a lot of aggravation. But if someone could just find a way of taking some money off them, then maybe it would all get yeah. get on a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And something that I, it did make me feel was like, oh, but then like access to walking shouldn't just be for people who live in places where they've put money into it or it's pretty because there are still people who live around those areas who perhaps can't afford to come out or wouldn't want to come and spend a week doing something but they should still have access to the outdoors and to walking and yeah when it feels that off-putting and it just it was just difficult because I thought here am I trying to share with people get outside enjoy this do this and yet I who am putting myself in this situation am not feeling comfortable in it and I was like this is not fair that I could be like yes about these places and oh but because what about the people who do live there I don't know it's tricky have you tried urban hiking yet tell me more so um there's a the pioneer, if you like, of urban hiking is a woman called Elizabeth Thomas, goes by the name Snorkel over in America. And she, for some reason, she couldn't get out on trail. So she devised a route around Los Angeles, which took in loads of stairways. So instead of climbing right. mountains, she used stairways and she basically walked across Los Angeles and managed to get in similar ascent to what she would have done out on a... And, oh, I think, wow. and I think she ended up doing okay. something like like 98 miles or something and so uh, how, however many thousand feet of ascent and descent doing the stairways <laughs> you know oh, right. so I think you know in London we could probably come up with something like that yeah or Birmingham along and, the canals or yeah actually the canals in that set that was the friendliest part that was really nice there seems to be like a slightly different community down on the water it's a slower way of life isn't it it's yeah and people said hello to me and stopped and chatted to me and that was that was nice actually dropping into those bits a couple of times through those counties was just a lovely respite from it I've got um some guests coming on soon to talk about like like trail community and how it how it can be different because we have all these like online communities around hiking in the outdoors and then we have groups that meet up and then sometimes it's like you say it's just a simple hello as you're passing someone on the trail and you know we're out doing the same thing and you know that's all it needs and sometimes I wonder am I am I preaching to the converted like how do I how do I reach people who aren't doing this and encourage them into the outdoors and to and that similarly with the environment, how do I reach people who aren't already thinking about and doing those things and encourage them to think about and push for better? Yeah, how how do we reach people yeah, that we it's are? Like, it's like leave no trace, isn't it? It's like those of us that get angry when people don't, you know, us preaching about leave no trace, we're obviously in it. So it's important to us and the only people who are going to listen to us are in it and it's important to them. So it's... That's it, I know. How do we get outside of our own echo chamber? <laughs> I don't know. Any answers to that one? Switch off the devices and go for a long walk. Oh, God, I know. That's been the hardest thing, actually, is having this much tech with me. It's not 
how I typically operate. You know, I do switch it off and go outside and it's a restorative place for me. And so kind of making peace with that actually this project means a slightly different experience for me in order to share it is part of it. And I suppose I hoped that by sharing stuff on social media, it was an opportunity to reach people that I might not otherwise. But I don't know. Do you know, actually, probably the I probably reached more people who I wouldn't just by being there, like the in-person conversations. Because you're carrying a big pack, people go, oh, you must be doing da-da-da-da. And you get to chatting. And it's a really nice icebreaker as well because it's a much gentler way into all oh, the climate crisis than just, you know, it's a, it's a hard topic. But then because you are doing, so, you know, there's an interesting kind of segue into it. Oh, and I'm visiting environmental projects along the way. Oh, you know, and, you, you, and I've had some really lovely chats with people on the way. And so I kind of hope maybe, maybe they're reaching a different audience and who knows who they've gone on to have conversations with. That's a hope maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me on. It's been lovely to talk to you. Give us no more suffering. Thank you very much to Stephanie for joining me on just up the trail this week. She's probably well on her way along the Pennine Way at the moment, if not crossed over into Scotland already. So we'll wish her the best of luck for the last month or so, I suppose, on the trail. But yeah, if you want to follow along her adventures, she's at Stephanie's Environmental Odyssey on Instagram. I'll leave a link to all of that in the show notes. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram again, I'm just up the trail. And until next time, I'll just say happy trails. Hold on,